are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. All right. Thank you, Greg. All right, well, something a little bit more lighthearted, perhaps, as we begin the message. Last Sunday, some of you might remember that I had a little bit of trouble with getting the Scripture reference right. So we were in Deuteronomy 26, but I announced the passage and invited you all to turn to Deuteronomy 28. And it turns out we have some very thoughtful people that didn't miss that here at the Y Church. So I got a gift this week. I came into the office one morning and there was a gift bag and there was a card in it. And the card wasn't signed, but I'm going to read to you what it says. It said, Dear Bjorn, as you glide further into your 40s with grace and grit, may your paths be straight and your vision clear. All our love, no signature. So I reached into this gift bag And here were a pair of reading glasses. (laughs) Now, I didn't get it when I first pulled it out of the bag. And I said to a couple of our other staff who were nearby, I said, anybody know who dropped this gift off? There's a brand new pair of reading glasses in it, but I don't get it. And one of them said, oh, Deuteronomy 28. (laughs) So whoever you were... Thank you for this gift. I'm not going to use them yet. I need to practice a little bit. But point taken, and I appreciate it. And I may still be working on a handwriting analysis and figure out who this was from. All right, today we come to this final week in our fall series. It's been a great adventure with you. We've called it Healthy Rhythms. And we made our way through Scripture in different places in some little obscure books, Second John, Third John, Philemon. And we've been studying these biblical teachings that God has created and intended for our good that lead actually to happiness of heart. And for the sake of review, I thought let's just remind ourselves of what we looked at. We started back to school after Labor Day with healthy family, healthy conflict and conflict resolution. We had a Sunday on walking in truth and love, that was Second John, sharing hospitality, faith at work, we had our guest speaker, Pastor Aaron Brockmeyer, and then the next week was faith at home, healthy giving was last week, and finally today we're going to talk about healthy worship. Now I am just coming off of, I'm going to need even more than glasses this morning, because we're just coming off a student ministry retreat the past couple of days, we had 35 to 40 students at the Reality Conference. That's most of them. We couldn't track everybody down. But we were down in Eden Prairie. We stayed overnight in a hotel and just had an amazing time with almost 4,000 other students and leaders from across Minnesota and the Midwest. And one of my favorite experiences of the weekend 
was what it's like to get to hear that many voices and that many student voices singing worship songs. And as the weekend went on, we would sing before each main session, and you could just tell in this group of students, the voices would get louder and stronger as we finished out the weekend together. It was really special to be part of. And it was a reminder that you and I were made to worship. Whether you consider yourself musical or not is besides the point. You were made to worship. Whether you can sing on key or it's not at all on key is also besides the point. You know when your heart is in a place of worship. But of course we know that worship is also more than music. And the bigger picture of worship is what we catch a glimpse of in Romans 12, our text for today. So we're going to pick it up in our reading in verse 9, but before we get into the details, I want to remind you of how this whole passage, this whole chapter starts. And some of you might remember it was in 2021, last year, that we studied in two different portions the book of Romans. And chapter 12, in the last third of the letter, starts by saying this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now listen to this line. This is your true and proper worship. Our key word for today. So this whole section is about worship. And it's in that context that we move into verse 9. Where Paul says, love must be sincere. Now I underline this because it functions as a heading over everything that follows. In fact, it doesn't even have a verb in the original. The verb is implied, but what it actually says is love sincere. Agape is the word there for love. Agape sincere. And everything now that follows is a description of this kind of love. Sincere love. This is what love really looks like. And the description begins with a contrast. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And it becomes difficult for us in English to capture the weight of what Paul is saying. The intensity of emotion that is here. Considering that first phrase, we're not even really encouraged to hate anything in our day and age. But the Bible says that there are actually some things that you should definitely hate. And one of those things is evil. And the word is so strong that it actually means to abhor. A-B-H-O-R, not a word we use a lot. Or to hate exceedingly. That's how you should feel about things that are evil. Not to just like shrug your shoulders and keep walking. Or simply steer clear of it because it's not a good idea. But you're supposed to utterly despise evil. The things that are opposed to God. And then comes in the second half of that contrast. What we're supposed to do instead. And it moves just as powerfully in the opposite direction. Cling to what is good. And every other instance in the New Testament of that word cling is used to describe what? The physical union of a husband and wife in marriage. Every other instance of it. So Paul is using provocative language to shake the Romans out of their sleepiness, out of their lethargy. A kind of ho-hum faith where you could kind of just get used to being a Christian after so many years. And you could actually, living in this world, even get a, a little used to evil or kind of 
dulled to it and start to downplay the word and just kind of putter along through the rest of your life. And what I like to see in reference to healthy worship in this first verse is this principle. That healthy worship is a personal commitment. And I want us to see, we're going to see another facet of it in a moment, but here, the personal nature of worship. That it's got to start with you. The Elk River Elks, congratulations to our great football team. They cannot function successfully now as they are moving into the semifinals and playing at the bank. They cannot function successfully unless every single guy is doing his job every single play. For love to be sincere, for it to be effective, for love to be authentic, it first has to be authentic within me. When someone is wanting to grow spiritually, there are certain personal rhythms that will help you to grow spiritually. And three that we highlight probably above everything else when it comes to personal spiritual growth, three that we highlight at the Y Church would be worship, personal Bible reading, and prayer. These are personal rhythms. So before we worship together at church, I've got to ask myself, well, what's going on in here? In my own heart, am I personally committed and seeking the Lord? So hold on to that thought. We're going to move into verse 10 and pair it with something else as we read these lines. It says in verse 10, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That first line contains two words in it that actually are of the philo stem in the Greek original. So the word devoted is philostrogoi, a mouthful. The second one, though, I bet you have heard before, where it says in love, that is Philadelphia. And you know this word, right? Philosophy, the love of wisdom, or philanthropy, the love of people. Right? And that translates into giving. So the phileo word group as a whole, and you can start to pick it up in some of these words, it always in the Bible denotes the kind of love you would have in a family. Those are the words that are coming to life in this passage. So I want you to think about your family, whether it's your extended family or the nuclear family in your own walls. But think about a family member with whom you have had just a deep heart connection where they have nurtured you like Mary talked about, and you have just basked in that love and affection. That is phileo love, and it's the word that Paul is using to describe the church. The church is a family. He's saying be devoted to one another, love one another like a family. And then the second line in that passage means surpassing one another in showing honor. So we live in a me first wired world and this is telling us we are to outdo each other in honoring one another it's like one of those classic minnesota nice battles i'm getting you ready for thanksgiving you know when you have everybody together and who is going to start the buffet and so you you stand there doing doing this you know you first no no you first no, no i insist right until somebody gives in so here at a much deeper level the question is Am I anxious to recognize and credit my brother or sister in Christ? And here's how this works in terms of healthy worship. Remember, our first principle was healthy worship is a personal commitment. Now here's the second one. Healthy worship 
is also a community endeavor. I've met people before, as I'm sure you have, or some of us have thought this in our own life, who have said, well, I believe in God, I'm a Christian, I just don't feel the need to go to church. Would not be unusual to run into this kind of perspective. I'm telling you that that idea, the idea of being a Christian without being part of the church, does not work biblically. You could use the word oxymoron. Like these two things in the same sentence don't work. It's, it's like being a fish and thinking that you can live out of water. There's no basis for it in Scripture. But the Bible teaches that if you love Jesus, then you also love being part of his family. To be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, is to actively participate in the life of his family called the church. In our new member class that we had last week, we talked about the meaning of church membership. You know, because you could be a church and actually not have membership. That does exist. Or you could be a church and you could have real strict parameters on exactly what that entails. So we were talking about that. What is this healthy biblical idea of membership? Because the church as a family is the dominant metaphor in the New Testament. And we translate it like this. You know, for example, at home, when it's time to go to the dinner table, you don't show up at the dinner table because you are attending family dinner. No, you show up at the dinner table because you're a member of the family. And that's just what you do. Now, one of the sobering realities of our time is that coming to church and maybe that measurement of how many times do I actually come to church is on the decline in our country, which you know probably doesn't surprise you. This is a trend over many years. So before the pandemic came along, this was already something that sociologists would write about and talk about. Then the pandemic came along, and they say that crisis accelerates change. And the pre-COVID number that we talked about on occasion here was uh, in national studies that were done that the average committed Christian person or household would be in worship about 1.6 Sundays a month. And I haven't seen the exact same study to kind of say where is that figure now, but across the board, all the national reports that are coming in would suggest that the number, if it was 1.6, is now decidedly lower than that. And that idea that crisis accelerates change is exactly right. So here you and I are planted in the middle of our culture and our country where we live and we're even in a Christian culture where we could very easily come to worship about one Sunday a month on average across our church family. And the reality is, first of all, here's the disclaimer. The reality is not that church administratively we are all that concerned about numbers. But these observations are driven by a heart for people to spiritually grow and to know the Lord. And it is hard to grow spiritually and be an active part of a family on one Sunday a month. So our leadership team over this last year was wrestling with this. You know, kind of as pandemic mode settled out. And here is what we discerned this past year. We recognized and observed that, you know, honestly, we're probably a 1.6 Sunday kind of place. You know, we get it. There's just lots of things that pull at the ability or the reality to be in worship on a Sunday. 
Now, that's purely observational. We don't track data, you know, to households or people. I mean, that is purely, um, just as we do life together, something that we've noticed. The only thing we do track is how many people in total are here on a Sunday so that we make enough coffee and put out enough seats. But here's what we said, this gut-level check of saying, yeah, we think we're a 1.6 Sunday kind of place. And what our leadership team set as a priority and as a goal for us for the next three to five years is we said, we want to move that number. And I think collectively as a congregation, we would say, yeah, we, we want to move that number. And here's what we said. We said, let's seek and pray to move that number from 1.6 to 2.5. Now, why 2.5? Because if you have four Sundays a month, that means that you are here more often than you're not. So in sports terms, this would be like a team that's above 500. Or in spiritual terms, this is a healthier rhythm of worship for us. And we believe that this is how people will grow. So putting these two verses side by side, do you see both this personal and corporate nature to worship? You see it emerging from the pages? So I'm committed to worship here personally, and I'm committed to worship here with my family. And you'll see how this pair of principles as we move through the rest of the passage is going to work in tandem, and they will just weave in and out of the verses that we read. So verse 11, let's go to that next. It says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor I love the literal translation here would be, be set on fire by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, serving the Lord. Now we know there's a very natural tendency that over a long period of time, our initial enthusiasm for the Lord can begin to wear off. Or we come home from a real mountaintop experience like our students coming home from the reality conference. And then after a few days, you know, you get into the new school week, the new work week, And you're back in the normal routine of things. You're dealing with the ordinary stuff of school or sports or friendship drama. Or you're an adult and you've had an experience like some of us did traveling to Israel and walking where Jesus walked. Or you have a season in your life, maybe as an adult, where you shifted out of kind of this dry religion to something that was life-giving and you're understanding a relationship with Christ. But there too, the excitement can wear off. And the newness of it, or the wonder, can wane. And we settle into a humdrum of low spiritual expectations. What should we do? That's the natural tendency. Paul says we should strenuously resist this temptation. But keep your spiritual fervor. And please, let's emphasize the grace of God in this process, that it is His power and His grace at work in us that will allow us to retain a strong and passionate commitment to the Lord that will take you all the way to the finish line, the end of your life. How does that happen? It happens when a heart is committed to worship. Verse 12, we'll keep moving. We're not going to land long on this one. I'm reminded of a young friend of mine. Peyton Holmes has this tattooed on his arm, Romans 12, 12. And here's what it says. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
Another translation reads those same lines, Rejoice in hope. Be steadfast and patient in distress. Be devoted to prayer. Do you know when it's really hard to do any of those things? It's when you're flying solo. When you are trying to do the spiritual life on your own and you're not actively in relationship with other believers and you're not in worship with your church family. When you're isolated like that, hope dries up, affliction wears you down, and your prayer life can just wither on the vine where it exists more in theory than in actual time in prayer. But healthy worship naturally will lead you to where this verse is possible. Because you're surrounded by a community then that is pulling in the same direction. You're surrounded by people who are cheering you on and encouraging you when times are tough. And they're praying for you. And the Holy Spirit, yes, indwells every believer, but is also powerfully at work in the collected gathering of the church. Verse 13, that's our last verse. Here's how we're going to finish. Just this brief passage this morning. It says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So is worship a community endeavor? Yeah, you see it right here. Look at this verse. The first word is a fellowship word. Koinonia. It's in its verb form here. Share with. Or another translation says participate. Koinonia in meeting the needs of God's people. So that's exactly the opportunity. I don't think I mentioned. It was Nancy, by the way who initiated this conversation about responding to Hurricane Ian. She called and said, what can we do? How can we respond? We have brothers and sisters who are there who got nailed by a major hurricane. And so we now have an opportunity not to forget them, but to do this, to koinonia and to meet some of their physical, practical needs. And it was the same in Rome where Paul is writing this letter. There were some believers there who were really needing, this goes to the basics, food, clothing, and shelter. And the church was going to do something about it because that's what the church does. And you see the last little sentence there is linked to it. Practice hospitality. Do you know what that also is translated as? Pursue hospitality. This is active. It means you're going to chase down the opportunity to practice hospitality. You're going to go out of your way to welcome someone in and to provide for the stranger. And in the first century, they were doing this in very practical terms because people would travel around and, and in the church family then, as they're going city to city, they're not staying in a hotel or an Airbnb or pulling their camper trailer. But no, they would stay with church family, with people whom they'd never met before, Mary. They would welcome them in. And I'll remind us, how did the gospel travel like lightning across the Roman Empire? It wasn't via the internet. It was on foot. As people carried the good news of Jesus from place to place. And I wonder, especially as we approach Thanksgiving, if there is maybe a hospitality assignment that's waiting for you. I got to experience one a couple weeks back. I was invited to a housewarming, and the couple who invited me over 
gave me a gift at their housewarming. I wonder if there's a hospitality assignment that's waiting for you. And I realize a lot of our schedules get so full that the chance to practice hospitality gets crowded out. There's just no margin for it. But I recognize as a dad that my kids need to see hospitality. They need to see it demonstrated in our home. And we need all of us to see this expression of worship welling up in our life. So there you have it. You have this comprehensive picture of healthy worship in Romans 12. And as I worked through this passage, just with a pen and a page and was jotting things down, I found that our own mission statement just emerged out of these verses. You know, at the Y Church, Tara said it, we exist to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. And every Bible teaching church rooted in the gospel in the New Testament, they're going to have the same mission statement. We all just say it a little bit differently. That's the way we say it. Seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. And then you look at this passage and you see it emerge right from the page. Keep your spiritual further. Seek Jesus. Be devoted to one another. Connect together. And share with the Lord's people. Share his love. So my brothers and sisters, healthy worship is an essential rhythm to life with Christ. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, on the physical side of life, taking in good food, getting active enough and enough exercise and getting enough sleep. That's what helps our physical body to grow. And I remind myself, the physical body, which is here today and gone tomorrow, how do we nourish our soul, which is forever? And I want to close this morning by telling you about one of the most compelling examples of worship that I have ever seen. I was young when this happened. I definitely did not need readers at that point in my life. I was in middle school or so. But when I was a kid, some of you know that my mom was a youth director in our church where I grew up, growing up in Hudson, Wisconsin. And the phone rang one night, and for those of us who are old enough to remember life before cell phones, it was the actual phone that was plugged into the wall, and it rang at two in the morning. And it was my mom getting a phone call that one of her students, one of her high schoolers, had been killed in a car accident, and if she could please go and see the family. The kid who died in that accident, he was known as a rough-and-tumble kid. He got into quite a bit of trouble at school, and that night he was out where he shouldn't have been. But here's what I remember. That was a Saturday night, so it was 2 a.m. Sunday morning when the phone rang. And what did I see the next morning at church? You remember This family, the mom, the dad, and the three other siblings in their usual seat in the front row. They could barely keep it together. There were moments of weeping where they couldn't stand to their feet. Their son, their brother had died just a few hours before. But for this family, they knew where they needed to be. with their spiritual family in worship. 
Now, I tell you that story not because I am prescribing it, that that's the way that all of us could or would respond that morning. But for me, it was an unforgettable example of worship and what a community in Christ looks like that the gates of hell will not overcome. Let's pray together. Lord, just telling that story, I, uh, I am taken back to that moment. And Lord, each one of us here, we, we don't know what any new day will bring. Life can change so quickly, so suddenly, and, and many of us have experienced that. And I pray, Lord, for my church family here and any guests who are with us today that this kind of healthy rhythm of a life of worship would just shape the ebb and flow of our life. Whether it is personally, Lord, or it's our relationship to this place, to the gathering of your people, oh Lord, that you would cause us to grow so that we too would have a faith that can withstand anything. Lord, we stand only because of the grace and love of you and what you've done for us. We commit ourselves to you, Lord, once again as we wake up to this new day and a new week. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.